Hello, everybody. Welcome wherever you are coming from. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today for the Disco Posse podcast. This is a really, really fun one where we get to talk about personal performance, perseverance, and really uh, elevating yourself. So you're going to enjoy the show. A uh, good friend of mine, Paul Sikowitz. Uh, but before we get started, I have to give a big shout out. Speaking of performance, uh, talk about my friends over at Veeam Software. I'm super happy that they are doing a really, really big launch. Lots of news coming out of there. So if you want to find out more about everything you need for your cloud data management and cloud data protection needs, you're going to want to go over to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. That's right. Go to Veeam. And check out all the platforms they've got. They've got Office 365 backup now for Microsoft Teams. So you heard you're supposed to back your team up. You literally are supposed to back your team up. So lots of really great stuff around SaaS, on-premises, whether it's virtualization, even cloud native uh, with their recent acquisition of Kasten. So very important. Uh, go check it out. Uh, fantastic platform. I've uh, been a longtime user and, and fan of the, the team as well, uh, which is as important sometimes as the product itself. So go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse and you can check it out for yourself. Also, if you want to be able to connect better with people, if you're doing demos and you're talking with folks in a sales role and in product marketing uh, or anything at all, even in product management, uh, I've got a great book, which I've just recently released. It's called The Four-Step Guide to Delivering Extraordinary Software Demos That Close Deals. Now, the idea with this is that you want to be able to get closer to connecting to people. It's not about how you do the demo in that you're better at clicking and, and pointing, but literally, how do you connect better and listen and uh, teach you the listening demo? So got uh, the ebook is available as well as uh, an audiobook, which is really cool, uh, authored by and read by yours truly. And you also are getting access to the upcoming online course and also uh, private preview stuff, which is AMAs and, and other interactive events that are going on throughout the year. So go to velocityclosing.com. I chose a funny brand for that one just because I want to give it a try. So yeah, if you want to check out, go download the book today, get access to the audiobook immediately, go to velocityclosing.com. Now, let's jump in. This is Paul Zikowitz. He's a really fantastic friend, uh, uh, an elite performance athlete. He does a ton of stuff. I actually work with him day to day, uh, but beyond that, he's got a really great story. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Paul Zikowitz. Uh, I'm a technologist and elite triathlete. Uh, and endurance athlete, and you're listening to the Disco Posse podcast. that we begin yeah. <laughs> it's the weird thing about recording podcasts is like especially when it's with with people you know who are friends and you're like yeah. you know we have like we've had like a thousand conversations paul and it's so weird that like i i don't know why i didn't do this before i'm like i uh you know it's what's interesting about what people will learn about you and hopefully about themselves is the ability to like just to take yourself to the next level in something. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's got a thing. So it happens that you have a lot of things that you excel at, uh, but you've chosen to really throw yourself into three things, which results in one thing. Yeah. You're a, an elite triathlete. And that means that you are at least good at three sports. <laughs> but before we do that, uh, just introduce yourself uh, for folks that are brand new to you. And then we'll kind of talk about your 
your triathlon, you know, current state, and then we'll, we'll go into kind of how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the name elite triathlete means obviously I'm very good at triathlon, although I don't do it, uh, as a career. Uh, so I do, uh, I do work at a company called Turbonomic. Um, I've done a number of different things for the, for the organization. I started off on the, on the pre-sales side and, um, sort of spreading my wings, if you will. I've, uh, I've stepped over to the dark side and started playing a little bit more on the sales side of things, um, namely in, in the alliances. So, you know, uh, obviously I don't have as much time to train as, as professional triathletes, but the one cool thing about triathlon is, you know, you obviously you have to train a lot, but as long as you can fit your training into your schedule, um, you know, you can, you can be pretty successful at it. Um, and one of the interesting things about triathlon is, and namely, you know, let's call it the Ironman 70.3 or, you know, the full Ironman, uh, really any triathlon, it's only one day, right? So like I said, as long as you can fit your training in and as long as you can get there on the day of the competition, you know, you can't, you can't <laughs> do things, right? I said that uh, only one day. That's like saying a Rolling Stones concert is only an hour long. But like, dude, there's a lot that goes into getting there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, right? Um, which I think speaks to a, a, a deeper message in, in, our, in our culture, right? Everybody sort of sees the moment that the person makes it, but they don't really see all the work that gets, that gets you know, put into that thing. Um, so, you know, I think one of my goals is actually to get my pro card. Um, but I'm having a lot of fun just being very competitive at the age group level. Um, so my, my, let's call it my, my peak for the season is going to be the Ironman world championships in, uh, in St. George, Utah it was actually supposed to be in, um, uh, in New Zealand, but because of everything going on in the world, uh, obviously got postponed. So that's going to be my, my quote unquote, a race or, or my, you know, my top race of the year. Um, but yeah, everything is going to be, you know, working up towards that. Now, the the neat thing about this, like you said, is that no one sees the hours you put in. I remember it was a good, was it Matt Fraser? He's a, um, uh, what's it called? CrossFit guy, CrossFit. Uh, yeah. He's been, he's been like the top, yeah, yeah, yeah. The know, top CrossFit, uh, you know, male uh, CrossFitter for however many, like for quite a few years, he's been consecutively yeah. leading. And what's he's really great, off, actually. Yeah, yeah. And what's really neat is that at the end of, if you ever watch some of the, they have CrossFit movies on like Netflix, they're great documentaries. And they remind me of the old like Iron Man, like I said, you know, I've got still got the voice of Al Troutwig burned into my brain with those like stories of, of stuff, you know, in the history of the athletes and their personal stories. And that's what I loved about it. But you, they show up Matt Fraser and that's it. Like he's literally just finished. He takes like three days off. And then he's, it's like four o'clock in the morning and he's in the gym yeah. and it's this whole thing. He's like, this is, these are the hours that nobody sees. And that's, yeah. that's what really separates that those really superstar triathlete or like you know, top athletes. But it's funny. You said one thing you're working on your pro card. So what, what makes you a pro athlete versus a, like a sponsored athlete? Cause it's my understanding that you actually do have sponsors and such so yeah when does the do you have to like have no job is that the consideration to make you a, a pro athlete i don't know what the deal is so that is a uh it's a it's it it's becoming more of a fine line let's put it because to your point there are actually age group triathletes like myself um that have gotten to a point where 
you know, there are companies that are willing to, you know, either give them free gear. Uh, sometimes it's even paying for things like race fees. Um, so again, there's definitely a, a bit of a fine line, but as far as becoming a professional triathlete, it, it really all comes down to results. Um, so, you know, the easiest way to do it is podium, uh, at any, any race that there's pro professional triathletes at, uh, within the Ironman world that that's pretty easy to do because most races, there's going to be pros there. Right. Um, so as long as you're competing in a race, uh, that's, you know, ITU certified and there are professionals there and you, you know, you finish amongst the top, uh, you know, you, you can, you can basically become a pro. Um, I think they like to see, uh, don't test me on the exact requirements, but I, I think they want to see more than one race. Um, you can't so just this, lolly this gag in a, as a pro you gotta, you gotta yeah, be committed set, to, yeah, there's a set thing that you have to do, but it's interesting because I'm sort of fighting whether or not I want to actually go ahead and get my pro card or whether or not I want to stay competing among the age group athletes, because right now I've gotten to a point where. Uh, this past year and in, in obviously 2020 was, was a tough schedule, but when everything settled at the end of 2019, I was ranked 12th in the country for the Ironman 70.3 distance. Wow. And, you know, obviously it's fun to win. So I, you know, I'm sort of deciding like, do I want to try to make the jump to pro or do I want to stay very, very competitive at the age group level? Um, and, you know, as we were just discussing, there's opportunities as an age grouper where you can get on some of these teams like Zwift, actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of Zwift, but they're a new uh, software company that, that specializes in virtual riding, uh, virtual racing. They've created this, this world called Watopia, uh, which I, I spend quite a bit of time on. Um, but, you know, they have partnered with uh, the likes of Specialized and some of the top vendors in the industry to literally treat you just like a pro, right? They're giving you free coaching. Oh, wow. So okay. opportunities, even as an age group athlete, uh, to really get most of the perks of being a pro. So in short, it's, it's the, the, the line is a little bit gray. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason why you would want to be a pro, i.e. all the benefits, uh, those are starting to bleed over in, into the age group. Um, but obviously, you know, the top pros, like the, the Jan Ferdinos, the Lionel Sanders, um, Lionel actually is one of my favorite triathletes. Uh, he's, uh, he's a lot of fun, uh, fun to watch, but, uh, you know, obviously if you're the best of the best, you want to compete with the pros, but, um, you know, if you're sort of middle of the pack pro, you can, you can be a top age group athlete, or again, you can be a pro and compete with the best. So I'm actually trying to make that, that decision myself. So we'll see what happens. So what's the, what's the difference between 12th and first? That is a, uh, that is a very good question. Uh, in short, it really all depends on the race. Um, one of the things when you look at the race schedule, there's definitely certain races that all the pros show up to obviously Kona, uh, for Ironman, that yeah. is, you know, that's the race, um, in triathlon, just in general, that is the race. Um, you know, obviously the Olympics, right. That that's a big race, but with the exception, I would say of, of the Olympics, it's, it really is Kona. And then obviously within the world of Ironman 70.3 and within the world of Ironman, there are certain races uh, that, you know, most of the pros show up to. They're very, very competitive, like Oceanside uh, 70.3, for example, is a, is a big one in the beginning of the year uh, for 70.3s. Um, you know, Ironman Canada is actually a pretty, pretty good one uh, for a lot of the, the Canadian triathletes. Beautiful Penticton, BC. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Looking, looking to qualify like Lionel Sanders and Cody Beals. That's, I know that's a big race for them. 
Um, so yeah, it, I mean, it really depends. Um, but what I typically like to do is I like to find the races where there's not a ton of pros at, but there's a lot of the age group athletes that are very, very competitive. Like there's this one guy, Aaron Koch, who I, I just wound up seeing a bunch on the race course. Um, I saw him in Haines city, Florida back in April of, of 2019. And I saw him again in Ironman, North Carolina in October. Um, and him and I were just going back and forth the whole time. Um, so again, I'm getting back to the answer to your question, but it really depends on the race, but the difference between me and that race, I finished in, I want to say it was like 10th place overall. And I finished it, uh, just over four hours and 20 minutes. And the winner of that race finished at four hours and 10 minutes. Um, but just to give you a little bit of context, you know, top, uh, top tier pro is probably finishing the, the Ironman 70.3 in definitely sub four hours, but probably, you know, let's call it three hours and 50 minutes to, like I said, just under, under four hours. Um, and that obviously depends on the course as well, because more elevation gain, um, you know, hotter, uh, open ocean swim, all of those different elements are, are going to impact the, uh, the end result. Yeah. Pro tip, don't start with Placid, right? Like Lake no, Placid, yeah, elevation, not cool. People always love like Florida's like the first one. Everybody's like yeah. flat, like it literally just like runs out to the water and back and life is good. <laughs> yeah, although I will say, I actually, I did a race. Uh, it was, I think it was 2018 down in, in New Orleans, which unfortunately they no longer have that race anymore. Um, for whatever reason, they, they just decided not to do it. But dead flat course so on paper looks super super easy but it was blowing 35 to 40 miles an hour so and and the way that the course was situated you were heading directly into it or it was directly behind you so i'm i'm doing you know 290 to 300 watts and i'm going 16 17 miles an hour and then oh, no. you flip back around and you're going like you know i'm going 37 38 miles an hour just absolutely flying like a you know like a bat out of hell. And uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting just to, again, it really, it depends on the course and it really does depend on the conditions, but. So just in case folks aren't caught up to exactly, and as we, we've kind of just immediately started tossing numbers around, yeah, break it down. So what, what does 70.3 mean to the, the folks that aren't sure on, on what those three parts of the race work out to be? Yeah, really good question. So uh, 70.3 is what's, what's commonly referred to as a half Ironman, which is exactly what it sounds, half the distance of a full Ironman. So a full Ironman is 2.4 mile swim. It's a 112 mile bike and a 26.2 mile run. Easy, right? Um, beauty. Any, any one of those would bury most people. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the history of the, uh, of the event because it really does have an interesting, uh, an interesting genesis. Um, and I, I specialize in the, the half Ironman distance. So it's a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike and a 13.1 mile run. Um, and that's going to put you on the upper ends of the, you're walking a thin line between aerobic and anaerobic exercise. Um, and that's really the, um, the challenging part of, of the race is, you know, you're basically pushing your body as hard as you can go, uh, for, you know, what you would. I wouldn't consider Ironman 70.3 short course, but from a, a metabolic perspective, you're still teetering on the edge of anaerobic to uh, aerobic. So it's technically, it's a distance event, but uh, technically it's not, if you, if you will. Yeah, it's it's a distance event. Yeah, you event, still yeah. are at, yeah, it's, this is the, 
like when you look at sprints and Olympic distances, they come in different sort of variations and, and you get a lot of folks that that's a great way to get started. Right. Is you yeah. work up those lengths and a lot of people won't go beyond, like even with marathon, same thing. <laughs> a lot of people stay at half marathon distance. Yeah. Cause like I could run a half marathon. I'm not like a, I'm not a high end athlete, but I can, I can bet anybody who's listening to this could run a half marathon. They would really well, suck for really a few bad. days after. Yeah. <laughs> and it may take a little longer than they wished, but you can pull it off without yeah. fueling, without like there's your body, everyone's body is effectively ready to do that at a competitive level. Yeah. You can do it. However, when you go up to adding a second event to doubling the distance over to the full Ironman, each event is like if you're, you're literally you have to consume more energy that day than you would in a normal week of your life yep. just to be able to make it through the event and you've probably lost five pounds at the end of it yep yeah i think that's actually a really good way to put it you're essentially the way that you look at your week is very similar to how you look at your race so you know for a triathlon you're going to be spending let's say it's you know let's call the average person doing a half Ironman is probably going to spend anywhere between two and a half to three and a half hours on the bike. So you need to be spending at least two and a half to three and a half hours on the bike over the course of a week. I would argue as you start to get up to, you know, let's call it the biggest quantities of your racing, you kind of want to build that number up to two to three X, the volume that you anticipate uh, to race essentially. Right. So I like to break it into time. So if I'm going to be on the bike, and you can also break it into distance, right? So you can think about it like I have to race 56 miles on the bike. That means that in my heaviest training or my, my biggest volume weeks, I want to be doing at least 112 miles. Um, some people like to push that up. You know, the pros will push that number up to 3X or 4X um, because obviously you want to be making sure that you're, you're building in quality in addition to quantity. But yeah, it really, it really, it basically comes down to you're preparing over the course of a week what you anticipate to do over the course of that, that day. Now, the, the fun part of all of this is when the hell did you think this was a good idea to do? <laughs> what, what, well, getting, getting back to, uh, so I was a swimmer in high school um, and college, actually. I did, I, I always rode my bike. Like I was always on a bicycle, it, you know, pretty much as soon as I could walk. Um, I don't know if I could walk or ride first, but it was, it was pretty close. Um, running was never really a, a thing for me. Although all the sports that I did growing up always, you know, you were always doing some sort of running. Um, but one of the things that really drew me to triathlon was obviously the competition. Uh, that was, that was number one, but I got really bored with certain things, but I would get really, really into them. So triathlon was a really great outlet for me to get really, really into something triathlon, but not get bored with any, any number of the, the, the individual parts. Right. So, um, you know, swimming, for example, I would put my heart and soul into swimming for three to four months, but after I was done, I was like, I am done. So yeah. after three to four months of triathlon training, because I've allocated my, my efforts, if you will, uh, you know, I'm raring to go. I'm not, I'm not ready to put it away. Um, it, it keeps me, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me excited to, to continue to get better. I guess I don't get bored with it. I guess is the best way to put yeah. it. So the, this is always the fun part. There's no way that this is the only thing that you're competitive at. So part of when we talk about moving to next level, 
at a at an event or you know uh, some discipline. It's never a lone thing that like you you there's there are other aspects that you probably had. Now I like to, I call myself like I'm a type A minus personality. So I do more than most, but less than more more than most, but less than many. Right. That's yeah. why when That's I way to put it. I, I cycle more than anybody would think is normal, but very much like way less and at way less effort than than you and 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 folks in your peer group would. Same with running. I, you know, I like doing it just because I don't want to, you know, people would always ask me, it's my favorite thing to be like, hey, so oh, you're like one of those, one of those like athletic types. I'm like, yeah, the ones that don't want to die in their forties. Yeah, that's me. I'm like that. I'm not doing this because I like running. I'm doing this because I don't want to have a heart attack. I, I, I've got genetic stuff, which is calling an early end for me. So I'm fighting a lot of weirdness that in my life, in my physical existence that I'm, I'm on borrowed time. So I'm going to make sure that I maximize that borrowed time. And so that's my choice of competitive is like, I'm competing against a heart attack date that my dad had, which thankfully he's still here, but he's like at 41, he had a a nearly life ending critical, like aortic valve replacement. And so here I was, you know, thinking, I don't want that to be me. And I wasn't on a, I'm not a big guy. I wasn't like doing anything bad, but my body was telling me, you know, you're, you're on a bad path, you know, and it's very easy for us to forget that. So I had this, that was my internal competitiveness was like mm-hmm. and, uh, but i i certainly could not go at the level that you're going at i and i know that like i you are definitely you have made a choice to actively train towards these fantastic goals and you're achieving yeah. results as a, because of that but again like i said so what was the first thing you did in your life where you knew you were competitive inside um that's a good question. You're bringing me, you're bringing me way back be, probably before memory. Um, but I think it was just, I just wanted to do things and be, and be active in the world. Um, I think my first memory or me seeing something that I wanted to be good at, good at was actually fly fishing. Um, when I was a little kid, I was the kid that would get up at four in the morning and be annoying their parents my parents are like, go back to bed and I would run in and I would start talking before I could actually speak English. I've always been a morning person and on ESPN in the morning, there were always fishing shows. And, and that was really my first obsession as a kid. Um, you know, I was a seven or eight year old kid at the fishing store with the older guys that were all 50, 60, 70 years old, learning how to tie flies. Nice. Um, throwing down Bob Azumi references like they're nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, Houston, Bob Dance, you know, kissing the fit. Yeah, I, I just, fishing was my first obsession. And I don't know, maybe just primitively, um, you know, obviously I think people are sort of drawn to the activities that genetically would, you know, help them evolve. Uh, so maybe it was just that sort of that primitive connection. But um, I think a lot of it had to do with where I grew up. I was always, you know, out in the, in the world, uh, you know, playing in the woods, in the beach. So I think a lot of my competition wasn't necessarily like structured competition or, or like team. It was, it was, you know, me and my sister running 
uh, down the street or to the bus stop who could get there, who could get there. Yeah, who could pass the first mailbox first, right? The- yeah. And then I grew up in a neighborhood. There was a bunch of older kids. So I was always in competition. And then obviously, as I started getting to an age where uh, things were a little bit more structured, baseball was my, my first passion. Um, I would, and as you can tenet, uh, t- tell, as I start to talk through things, I have the tendency to get obsessed with things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, fishing was sort of my first obsession and, and just wanting to get very, very good at that. Um, you know, I was out before school practicing, you know, casting onto a, a, a paper plate with the fly. And then as I, as I got to baseball, um, you know, I was out in the backyard throwing up a baseball and hitting it because I didn't have anybody to throw, throw the baseball to me because, you know, all the kids in my neighborhood were older than I was, which sort of helped me out because I, I started playing with kids that were older than me and helped, helped me develop. Also, my dad screwed up my birthday. So I was playing with kids that were a year older than me um, nice. as well. But yeah, I don't know. I think it was just, um, you know, just being outside just naturally drew me towards being competitive. Um, didn't really matter what it was. I just kind of wanted to be, just be good at at different things. And obviously as structure started to come into my life, um, you know, that obviously helped, like I said, because, you know, baseball being on a field with a bunch of other people, it, you know, it gives you a little bit of an outlet to be competitive, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's not so much my, my drive to be competitive, but it, I just, I want to be good at things. Um, and I've always wanted to be good at things. Um, and I, I like the process, I would say, um, I remember thinking back like in high school, like obviously I love to compete. Um, and that's one thing that I'm really missing this year, but, uh, I really do love the process. Like I like to get up at the same time every morning. Um, I like to know what I'm going to do. And then I like to be able to look at today and then look back at yesterday and say, am I better today than I was yesterday? And, uh, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing those things day in and day out, it, it becomes very challenging to sort of compare you, uh, yourself today versus where you were yesterday. So. Now, this is the interesting thing where, and you and I, we've had a lot of fun conversations about this stuff. And I'm like the, I'm the laziest competitive person ever. Like I'm, I'm internally competitive and I set my own sort of like target goals, but my, my goals are more like there's no, someone says there's no way that this can happen. I'm like, hold my beer. (laughs) I, I, I would bet, like, I would be the idiot that would jump in the, in the water when no one else would not because I wanted to be in the water because I wanted to prove to people that it's possible. It was as much about like me breaking my own barrier and helping others to be broken of their barriers. And that's really kind of what drove me so that I am like, I'm a non-competitive person, but I can, I can run, I can bike, I can do whatever and snowboard and, and, and different stuff. And my oldest daughter is a, uh, she's like eighth in Canada for, for snowboarding, for slope style and, uh, and pipe. So it's really wild that she's like me where she doesn't want to know about, she, she just like wants to just do it. She doesn't want to know there's barriers. She doesn't want to know there's limitations. She gets frustrated by not being able to progress yeah. Which is where now this is the fun part where the lazy competitive person can only by trying enough, it becomes lucky more than correct in the program. You very much learn the program. Like I kind of go back. So like, I know a lot of the science of it. I, I know all that stuff, yeah. but I don't personally subscribe to, I can't keep a schedule, yeah. whether it's I'm dyslexic or lazy or whatever. The, there's a whole variety of things, but 
for you to make that choice, like how important is really digging into why it works to help you progress yourself? Yeah. I mean, I've always been a why person and I, I actually thinking about how I got back into triathlon, that was actually one of the reasons why, or, or one of the things that got me back into triathlon was health. Um, and me really wanting to get on top of my health. Um, and, and sort of the science, like all of that stuff really, really intrigued me. Um, you know, I, I think it, it actually started with listening to Tim Ferriss. And if you've, you know, if you've heard of Tim Ferriss, he's all about the life hack and about just sort of improving the way that you do things day in and day out. Um, you know, I think it's one of his books or one of his first books was the four hour work week. So how can you take the 40 hour work week and the, you know, basically the output that 40 hours would give you, how could you still get that same output, but reducing the number of hours. So I was, I was chasing that. And then along the way, I just, I just sort of got caught up in, in triathlon, um, and this idea of, of, and this obsession with constantly being able to improve yourself. Um, and to your point, it's, it's one of those things like you just sort of get into it. Um, and I think half of the part is just doing your first race, getting, you know, getting it down on paper. And then from there going back and saying like, Hey, I wonder if I changed this or changed that. Could I, you know, can I get a little bit better? So I think that's one of the things that I really love so much about triathlon is the fact that, you know, it really is, it's a puzzle, right. Um, and, you know, obviously all the variables are constantly changing, which makes it, you know, it makes it interesting. You know, the people that you're competing again, uh, against makes it, makes it, you know, always changing and interesting, but yeah, I would say that that was actually one of the things that got me into it. Right. It was just the one, you know, wanting to, to learn why, um, and you know, how can I actually, uh, you know, how can I solve this problem? Uh, because that that's, what's really fun. Well, what it really works down to as well is that how do you solve, how do you solve humans? Yeah. And you begin with yourself because you, you're around yeah. yourself all the time. Yeah. You got a better access to the, to the student, right? It, it's kind of like, I love, I love poker. I played uh, Texas Hold'em uh, at like a minor competitive level. And I literally know nothing about the mathematics behind it. Yeah, I, I don't want to know because I'm dyslexic. It'll horrify me to try and work out numbers on the fly. But the reason why I was good at it was because I know how people work. Yeah, And so I could figure out. And it, what was great is because I, everybody was broken because they're just like, you're doing stuff that doesn't make sense. I'm like, well, it's working. So clearly it does make sense, you know. And so that sort of human hacking, human understanding thing, I think, is where a lot of the things that you're doing that allow you to progress again are, are sort of an effect that you've chosen yourself of like, how can I make myself better than yesterday? Yeah. You bring up a really good point too. It's, you know, there's not just one way to do something, right? Like a lot of people think about poker and they think that it's really, it's a requirement that you need to be able to not, not like count cards, but right. You need to be able to understand some of the math that underlies that. And I, I think that uh, there's a lot of that with triathlon too, because you look at, you know, some of these, these athletes and, you know, people look at them and they go, Oh, I could never, I could never do that. Or I could never be that person. And that's one of the reasons why I actually find Lionel Sanders so inspiring because he was like a D2 middle of the pack, tri, uh, you know, athlete in college. And here he is now one of the best triathletes in the world competing with, you know, the, the top tier guys and gals. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, it, obviously there are certain things 
genetics, whatever, that will, will get you further on down the path. But um, yeah, I think you bring up a really interesting point that there's not any one thing that's going to make, make you successful. Um, and if you could figure out you know, that thing that makes you good and you can exploit that, that's ultimately what's going to make you successful. It's not what people, other people say that's going to make you successful. It's you figuring out what's going to make you successful and then you figuring out how you can exploit that um, you know, to, get you where you, to get you to where you want to get. So. And it becomes cool. a thing that you can apply to other practices in your life yeah. too, right? It's, it's like habit forming and certain things like that. So the other thing that's interesting too is when you get to a very competitive single day event, everything can go right until that morning. Right. Like what, what is that? Does that ever enter into your mind or do you just have to put it out that like literally a bite, you could have a bike mal malfunction. You could get, yeah. you could get sick. There's like, as the wet, the wind could be particularly bad. There's so many things that could take 11 months of perfect training and completely upend you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say just at a high level, they say there's really four uh, disciplines, what do you think about triathlon? It's swim, bike, run, and then nutrition. But to your point, there's a few other variables that you need to account for, obviously the weather and then mechanics. Um, so, you know, there's obviously things that you can control and those are the things that you need to focus on. Uh, so making sure that you're getting enough sleep, uh, making sure that you, your nutrition is on point just in general, and then making sure that you're prepared for the race. So, you know, making sure that you're bringing your bike to the mechanic uh, before the race. Um, that's one of the big, uh, that'll happen. That, it sounds like the most like mundane thing, but what people don't realize the, the, the amount of weirdness that's going on in your life that day, it's like, you traveling, you know, yeah. <laughs> or worse, like you find out the bike didn't make it and you did, right? Like that's yeah. why you tend to go in advance. You want to ride the course. There's like a lot of, a lot of things that you've got to do that are ritualistic, I think. And, and maybe that's the other thing. How do you, are you a very much a, a slave to ritual or a, a yeah. lover of ritual? I shouldn't say a slave to like more like you, you seek the ritual as part of the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really just try to line up everything in my life to what it would be on race day. So um, getting up at the, every, uh, at the same time every morning, right? Typically races are early in the morning. So getting your body circadian rhythm in line with, you know, what you're going to expect on race day. Like one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make. And one of the reasons why a lot of people have challenges is, you know, they, they're racing or they're, you know, they're getting up super early on race day. And I'm not saying you have to get up super early, you know, throughout the entire year. Like some people like to sleep in, but at least two or three weeks before the race, if you're, you know, the gun goes off at seven in the morning and you have to be at the start of the race at five in the morning, you need to be waking up at 4.30 every single day for the first couple of weeks, again, to get your circadian rhythm so that you don't have to go to the bathroom at 10 o'clock in the morning or something yeah. like that. So those are some of the things that you can, you can start to do to can, you know, control, if you will, the, the, the variables, um, you know, a lot, it's like, I mentioned the bike thing, right? Like part of the reason why a lot of times something will go wrong with your bike is because you're riding your bike every single day, but a lot of times you're riding it maybe inside on the trainer um, or, you know, even if you are riding it outside, you're just, you're riding it all the time. And you just sort of think like, oh, I don't need to get a tune up because I'm riding it all the time. And it was fine yesterday, but that's the it, problem, right? You're riding it. Exactly. The it's, so, there's always the one day where something happens that you can't pick what that day is going to be. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Like the, the bolt 
the bolt falls out that particular day, uh, whatever, whatever it is. So, you know, there's certain things that you can do. Um, and obviously there's certain things that you can't do and you can't control for, uh, who's going to show up the day of the race. So, you know, we were talk, touching on this a, a little bit earlier, but this idea of competing with yourself, like that, that's really the, the mindset that I like to take into the race is, you know, I've done the work, I'm ready. Let's go out and have the best race. Right. Um, and, and just racing within yourself that, and that's actually one of the things that I really like about triathlon is that there's a number of different metrics that you can, as long as you're in theory, keeping track of, you know, you're not going to blow up. So for me, it's my heart rate cannot get above 161 depends on how fit I am or 164 beats. So it's really, you know, knowing your limits, staying within those limits, not letting your emotions get ahead of you. Um, that's what a lot of people will tend to do is, you know, during the race, all of a sudden their, their plan will change, right? I, I'm, I'm not supposed to get above 164 beats per minute, but there's a person that I'm, I'm, I know I need to race with. And if I, you know, I don't want to let them go. And, you know, they, they start putting some watts down and they start cruising past me down the road. And I break, you know, I break my race, uh, my race plan. Um, you know, sometimes and then, and then right that, pays, that that comes back to them. Right. And that's the whole exactly. thing. It's very easy to give up even, you know, it's almost like the, you know, sort of the Seinfeld thing of like, I was making good time. Like when you're driving to the, to the cottage or whatever. And, and you're like, if I go 120 kilometers an hour right now for like four minutes, I could, yeah, as yeah. if it's going to like make a difference in the end, but in the, when you actually scale it out over the course of time, yeah. if anything, it puts you, it increases your risk during that period of time to getting caught by a police officer or like something else. So yeah. and when you're physically exerting yourself, those are calories. Those are other secondary effect things that could come out where you get cramping, fatigue, yeah. lactic acid, like other stuff that very much changes. You know, if you're right on heart rate point, you can just, you can bang it out. You can just keep going for, for the most part, you know, but yeah, if you kick it up, I even find that if I like, try and take my 5k run, you know, I can mess with a 5k run time super easy. Cause you, you, even if you blow up, you don't really blow up. Like you got time, you're, yeah. you're shaving seconds, but I'm not competitive. If I wanted to go competitive, it would really be difficult because, you know, and then you get to 10 kilometers and, and yeah. you know, 17s and like all the different sort of markers. And when I did my first, I, I accidentally did a half marathon where I just said, I'm like, ah, let's see if I could do it. You know, I, I used to, I did tough mutters. And so yeah. I used to run long distance. I done one of those yet. You don't actually need to run. Like, even though it's 17 miles, you don't have to run 17 miles. You run for like a mile and then you do a thing and yeah. then you run for a mile. Like, so it's the whole it, thing. Except, yeah, 17. Right. But I, I thought to myself, I need to be able to run 17 miles. So I started yeah. running and then I would go longer. Cause I'm also that's my mindset. If yeah. you want to be good at running 17 miles, then run 20 miles. Right. Yeah. When I like marathons different because no one runs longer than marathon to compete as a marathoner. Typically yeah. like that. They always, you only run a marathon yeah. distance on day on race yeah. day, which is, uh, I still, it's a bizarre thing to me, but there's a body reason why that has to happen. Yeah. A neuro, yeah. Neuromuscular. Yeah. So, but it, when it comes to these things of like, I would, I went out and I did this half marathon 
I'm like, all right, let's do 21.1 kilometers of running. And so I did. And I actually had a decent time and I was able to keep going. But then when I went to do it the second time, it sucked because I knew I could do it. And so now I was like, I think I'm going too slow. And then I'm not hearing my kilometer markers going off in my ear. And then then all of a sudden it would happen. And I was further behind than I thought. And then I was tired. It was warmer. Like all this other weirdness started to happen. And I was now having this horrible internal monologue of like, you shouldn't have done this. And I, I literally would start to walk, run, walk, run. Like, and I, for the most part, didn't want to do that. And once I got through it mentally and I got to a landmark that I could recognize, I'm like, okay, I know I can do this. Like, just keep going. And I had to, but when you're at a race, you don't get the familiarity. You don't get that stuff. So if you break, like, how do you keep a program when there's nothing familiar about the situation? Yeah. So it's, it's really tough. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have issues with nutrition because they let their emotions get it, you know, take hold of them and they forget to eat at the 30 minute mark. And then it's, you know, they're at the 45 minute mark and that's time that they've lost. Right. Because when you're in a race, there's, there's a capacity, right? Like for number of calories that you can ingest, it's 360 calories per hour is about the amount of caloric, uh, you know, intake that your stomach can actually absorb right so that you can use it effectively and within that there's a subgroup of mac- macronutrients so i mean it's really really tough but it's it's really you got to stay focused and you know there's different things that you can do um like i said i try to keep things as simple as possible and for me it's heart rate um you know i, I try to focus on just that one thing and you know there's some other things that i like to use like watts right when i'm on the bike like as long as I, I need to make sure that I'm staying at around this number and I can go to this number, but I definitely can't go above this number. So there's just little things that you're sort of telling yourself. Um, You know, cadence is another thing that I like to, uh, you know, like to, to keep track of. So it's, it's almost like playing when I'm on the bike, I'm playing games with myself. Like I'm keeping it at 85 RPMs and I'm not going above this heart rate. And those are sort of like the, the guidelines that I'm giving myself. I'm really not paying attention to a whole lot of what other people are doing. Because again, like there may be people that are faster than me that day. And I know that if I get above and I race, start racing outside of myself to a certain point, obviously like if we're in the last three or four miles of the run and I'm running next to somebody and they start to pick it up, I'm not letting that person go. Right. Because there's three or four miles left, but it's just looking at the big picture, knowing it's going to be a long day and just being honest with yourself. Um, like this isn't worth it. And they're probably going to die. And if they don't die, then they were probably going to beat me anyways. Right. right. So yeah. let's not make that mistake now. If we're going to make that mistake, let's make that mistake when there's four miles left in the race. And if I blow up, I blow up, you know, two miles from the, the race line and, you know, I'm going to finish regardless if I have to crawl across the race line, but at least it'll be, you know, a mile or two away from the race race line versus, you know, four miles into the run. And uh, chances are, if, if I get, if I'm there at that point, then I'm, I'm not going to, not going to finish the race. So yeah, in, in short, it's, it's really challenging, but I think the only way that you, you overcome that is just by keeping it simple. And regardless of what your emotions are telling you in the moment, you planned prior to the race for a reason. 
Yeah. Listen to your pre-race self, not your, your current race self. <laughs> your current race self is going to get you into trouble. Now, this is the interesting thing because we talk about, you know, success in training, success on race day. But success has come on the back of disappointments and loss and overcoming. And it really is, that's the most important thing because it doesn't just go well. So what's the, what's the worst experience you've had competitively that you are probably thankful for because it taught you a, a hard lesson? Uh, in recent memory, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so in recent memory, it was Ironman Ohio. Um, it was my first DNF. I, I didn't finish the race. I, I called it quits about four miles from the, uh, the start of the race. And I was really, really disappointed with myself after the race for not finishing because per the discussion that we were having earlier, right? If anybody can finish uh, a half marathon, right? It, it really all comes down to the mental side of things, but I got so caught up in my, in my own head around how well I was going to do. Like I had this idea of, I was going to podium, um, you know, and, and current, candidly, I was, I was fit enough to, uh, to podium in that race, but I raced outside of myself. I pushed myself too hard on the bike. I didn't get enough water in and I got myself into a really bad scenario. And I was just having all of this negative talk in my head. I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I convinced myself to drop out of the race, essentially. I mean, candidly, I was in a really bad spot. I was very, very dehydrated, but I was only four miles from the finish line and my pace got to a point where I actually had to start walking. And again, I, I just, my current race self wasn't listening to my, my pre-race self. Um, I just got so caught up in the moment and wanting to do well uh, or, you know, wanting to do what I was expecting to do that I forgot about my number one goal, which was, uh, you know, being true to the race and actually finishing it. So, um, yeah, it just, it left me in a, in a place where I was just so disappointed because, and that's actually something that I use as motivation when I'm racing is when it gets really tough because it's, it, you're going to get there. It's not a question. You're never going to race at least at the 70.3 distance. And I would argue pretty much any race that you're going to do, you know, it's going to be comfortable if it's, if it's a longer distance for the, the beginning of it, right. You're going to be having a good time. Everything's going to be great, but you're ultimately going to get to a point in the race where the demons are going to come out. And it's at that point where you win or lose the race. What are you going to do in that situation? Are you going to, are you going to cave? Are you going to give in? Um, because you know, you weren't where you thought you were going to be, or are you going to be true to yourself and, and continue to put the pressure down? And, and that's really one of the techniques that I use is I look at my future self and I, I ask myself, Paul, what would your future self, uh, what, what would they think of you right now and your decision to, to drop out of this race? Um, or when you think back at this period of time and, you know, can't really things suck right now, right? Everything hurts, yeah. but are you going to be happy with the amount of effort that you put out? Like, did you actually go as hard as you could? Um, and if the answer is no, then I just, I just hit, hit the gas. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, that was, that was a big learning experience for me. And um, yeah, I, I had to have a serious conversation with myself after the race and just say, Hey Paul, you, you know, you need to not get so caught up about, what you think you're going to do that day. You can only do what you're going to do. You know what I mean? You can only do yeah. what you're going to do that day. And at the very least do the best you can do. 
and there's a, an interesting thing where sort of at your level, a DNF is very important to your psyche and in, in that at a true, no, I shouldn't say truly at a, an increase, an incredibly high competitive level, when they know they're in 11th place, they will stop if yeah. they're not feeling well, because they have, they know they've got a 52 week training season yeah. and it's a little different. So, which is why, you know, people, when they see somebody in their DNF, you know, yeah. because they're going to miss some time window or whatever, it could be, they could have a, some other physical thing that's happening to them and yeah. they just have to tap out because they know they've got to get to the massage. They got to get to recuperation, get into rehab, whatever it's going to be. And, and it's, it's different, but it's funny that we, we look as humans to the inspiring story and it's always finishing. It's always yeah. finishing. Right. And, yeah. and in fact, I'm the other one. I, my most inspiring story is the person that crosses when the flag's already down, right. Yeah. When the timer's off and you see ones and it's like, give me goosebumps. Just thinking about that. The, Cause the one I, I, that, I agree. I totally agree. The one that'll, it still just like just drives you it just gets to your soul is like you hear about the story of dick and and ricky hoyt and yeah. and they're you know being boston locals because you're also a, a massachusetts kid uh yeah. you know you you read their stories and you watch the the videos about this whole thing and i remember watching one time and they they had a bike they had a bike mechanical and you can't take they're competitive like you can't take anything with you like and it, they had a unique bike so even if they could there was nothing they could do yeah and they they got to the end of the bike segment and there was no way they were going to finish and because it was his son who had no other way to communicate at that point you know because he is uh, it's muscular dystrophy or sir I, I apologize i should know but you know he's wheelchair bound and he, you know, he says every day I wake up because, you know, the first words that my son said were go Bruins. Right. And, yeah. and like, he's like, he was competitive. And he said, I, when, when I'm running with you, it makes me feel like I can run. And so Dick Hoyt ran in the dark knowing he was never going to make it because he wanted to do his son to cross that finish line with him. Right. Yeah. Like there's, those are the stories that I'll like, it puts people into a different place right and and it's you see like sean welch and 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 uh, wendy ingram one of the most famous ones where they're literally yeah. crawling yes across the line they like they're like they look like feeble bodies just yeah. and literally one one crawls faster than the other and yeah. like it's bizarre like you see these things but no one realizes like man like that those are so rare but they're so inspiring and you have to like find the like micro versions of that in every race and everything you do. And that's kind of like what allows you to compete. Like the day yeah. that you go flying off your bike and you're like, I remembered finishing a, a, just even a group bike ride with my handlebars literally bent inwards because I crashed so hard. But Only a cyclist can, can relate to that story. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 10 kilometers into a 150k ride, and we went down just like a like it was horrible. It was just a stampede of carbon fiber just flying into the ground. And uh yeah, you know, two guys 
couldn't even couldn't even get going again and uh we one guy blew a chain right off and then there i was i'm like riding like so bizarrely because i've got my handlebars all banged up but i'm like i've got i'm i'm the ride leader i gotta finish yeah. the ride <laughs> only a cyclist would say wait wait you crashed your bike and you kept riding well, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what you do when you crash your bike you get back well, up and keep riding so that's it right what 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 is it in i'll say us is the only time i can include myself in the us is because i you know you're at you're a different level of us uh but when when i fly off my bike in a race the first thing i think is put me back like grab the bike get on and then figure out is it mechanically sound okay cool and then i'm riding and then going okay am i mechanically sound like that's the last yeah. thing on my mind is am i physically able to continue you only when you're like i've seen people do that and they realize they've got a broken collarbone or like a broken yeah. rib and and that's when they're assessing that not before they get back on the stupid bike like most people would think stay off the bike dude you flew off it just, just yeah. take a break you know <laughs> like no internally i'm like i got to get back on and then i'll figure out how things are going yeah well i think it speaks to uh to something deeper within us as humans um you know obviously a race is a race is a race is a race but um you know at the end of the day you're doing this for you right um obviously you know you want to do well but you know, again, we keep hitting upon this. It's what you do when nobody else is looking that really sets you apart. And, you know, to your, to your early story, you know, even if you're not going to quote unquote, finish the race, just, you know, getting to the finish line, you know, even if you're not going to be recorded again, it is finishing the race, you know, you, you know, that you made it right. Um, and that's going to be the thing that's going to get you to the start line at the next race. Right. Because a lot of people may just, you know, the person that doesn't finish the race, is probably not going to get to the to the start line the next time, um, and so I yeah I think it it just it's asking yourself a deeper question you know why am I doing this in the first place and I mean at the end of the day life is uh, life isn't always happy um, and if you're constantly chasing happy then you know you're you're probably not going to be very happy in your life right yeah so I think it's just sort of wrapping your head around this idea that you know, in, in many cases, life is painful and, and life isn't always pleasant, but if you can just continue to forge ahead and do the right things, uh, eventually, you know, you'll get there and you're going to feel so much better about yourself when you do. Um, and so, it can even yeah, be I micro just, goals, right? I think that's the, the big thing that even people that are listening, they're going to be like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go to this level, but it can be literally the smallest thing. It can be taking yeah. a night school course just to figure out something. If you want to try something, it's like, an hour a week that you do something that you didn't do before. It's yeah. what you can do to inspire yourself to do that. I, like one of my favorite quotes of the, you know, the one we should not quote, he's like Voldemort of cycling, right? Of course, Lance Armstrong, which I <laughs> take what, take what happened away from it. Like the, yeah, is a fantastic athlete. Oh, incredible. Inspiration athlete. for, for many and still, you know, and, and I, I still find inspiration in, in what he does. Yeah. And, you know, I, doesn't take away from the badness of the situation but anyways but my favorite quote is he says if you quit only you're going to know or you will always know and no one else cares and that's yep. like the whole thing like this is 100 really cool. on you, <laughs> you know? and i remember riding up uh riding I, I, so i luckily i'm a thinner fella because i work at it right and so i'm pretty decent at going uphills 
And so I'm immediately in a, in a different group because most people don't like going up hills. So I'm already in a thin group. I like of that. Folks. <laughs> so I, my first thing is like, why, why would you ride down? I'm going to ride up. This is way more fun to go the other direction. And I remembered going up one day and I had one of those moments where I was halfway up. It's a 12K ride. It's effectively almost the same profile as Alpe d'Huez on the North Shore Mountains oh, wow. in, uh, in, um, in Vancouver. It's my favorite thing. Every Saturday morning, I would go up and I would ride a 12 kilometer uphill, 7.7% average gradient ride. So, you know, it takes you about anywhere from, takes me anywhere from 50 to, you know, 56 minutes, depending on how I'm feeling. That is a steep incline. It's a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> the moment you start, it starts at like 9%. Like the first thing you do is it's just your heart rate is jacked. Kick you right in the teeth. And that's it. And then there's no reprieve. Like it, there's a false flat that goes down to 5.5%. Oh <laughs> and that's at like kilometer eight. You, and like, I rem I know every turn, every tree, yeah. every corner in my head still, because I rode that so many times. But anyways, I saw I'm halfway up this day and I wasn't in the right mindset starting the day. And I got there and I was just filled with negativity. And I got to like halfway, I'm like five kilometers in. And I was just like, I'm not feeling it. it this, I was going slow. I was like, everything was felt like it was going wrong. And so I started this loop of tearing myself down. Yeah. And then I, I stopped and I was like, this, there's no, like, this is not the day. And so I stopped my bike and I literally like, stood there for a second i'm like i'm not going to make the decision right now i'm going to i'm going to wait a minute took a drink and then i turn my bike so that i'm literally like crossways on the road and there's no one up here like it's a ski mountain so no one's yeah. there you know no one drives up it and as i thought about turning left and pointing down the mountain it just it just hit me that i was like god damn it yeah you know don't do this and then i saw the i saw four riders coming down in like basically like a tandem run they're just like wheel to wheel flying down and it was the giant women's uh competitive team so there's yeah. four of them were coming down and i was like you know only you're gonna know and no one else cares it was going through my head and so yeah. I, I turned my bike to the right and i hobbled my way back up and I, I finished, I did it. It was like, like an hour and two minutes. It was a terrible time, but I got to the top and I just said, thank goodness I didn't do it. And then I rode down, which is like a crazy downhill. You're going down like 55 miles an hour, just like hammering down this thing. And then you come into hairpin corners. It's a really wild ride. I hate it. Actually, it's kind of scary because you're flying. You got to be careful. Yeah. I, I do like going fast, but I, I, I'm definitely with you. I, I prefer uphills yeah. uh, to, to downhills um, just cause I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good on a bike, but to, you know, it, it definitely is a certain type of person, but uh, it, no, yeah, it does really yeah. blow up the crowd, right? That's the, the one thing that's amazing is that if you go, most people don't like even same thing with running. I remember doing running races well, running down, tough. and as soon as you hit a hill, I'm like, yeah, right on. Like I'll like kind of hammer for a second just to yeah. kind of like, and it's, um, it just splinters the field. It's so wild to see how oh, most people are not used to the, the change in elevation. And so the funny thing is like, so as I'm now riding down and I'm feeling, thank goodness I did this, I, I, I would have regretted it if I didn't, but like, like it was a tough, tough ride. And I, and I see the four 
women from the giant team coming back up for the second oh, time. Yeah. And I'm just like, and it just reminded me even more, you know, and I, I do this with my daughter all the time. I want to get her like a, a thing on her Jersey, just as like rides like a girl you wish, <laughs> you know, cause there's no, like that, that mountain is, you know, it separates people from themselves. Oh, yeah. And it's, it was wild to see, but that's when I think of those things and then like, so how does this stuff now play out in your business life, right? Like, cause you don't just do your, your day-to-day gig. Yeah. You've got a clothing company. You've got all sorts of craziness going on. How, so you, you are, you are a competitive self in a lot of different yeah. areas. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, to, to your, to your point, I actually no longer am, uh, am part of the clothing line, but I, I did start a clothing line with a couple of friends prior to, uh, to joining Turbonomic, which is, which is where I am now. Um, and I, I'm getting a little bit into the, to the blog, uh, podcast world. I haven't really got as much, uh, as much into that as, as I'd like, but I'm going to be spending a lot of time on that this year. Um, but I think it's just, uh, just kind of a hunger for, for new experiences, right? Like we're only here once. Um, you know, I, I want to try to experience as much as I can. And I don't know, I, I just, I like to build things, right? I, I'd like to, to leave something after, you know, we're only going to be here for a certain period of time. I'd like to leave something that, you know, folks can, can remember me by. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like you're either you're either, you're either a consumer or you're a producer, and I feel like so many people in today's world they're always consuming, they're always consuming, they're always consuming, they're always consuming. So I, I just think it's important to try to balance the equation, right? Think about all the consuming that you're doing, and think about all the producing that you're doing, and be honest with yourself: how much you know? And have I balanced the equation, right? Am I consuming more than I'm more than I'm producing? And if you know the the question, or, or rather, your answer is I'm consuming more than I'm producing. You know, challenge yourself. Try to try to learn a new skill, pick up a new hobby, um, try to make an impact on on somebody's life. That's actually something that I'm I'm trying to get a little bit more into as well. Um, obviously, you know, I'm spending a lot of time swimming and biking and running, but you know, would like to to uh, to get into a, a little bit of coaching and, and actually imparting some of my my hard earned wisdom on on other people. So. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I don't really know. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really put a, uh, put a pin in it. Um, you know, I, I 10 years ago, if, if you had told me I'd, I'd be into this stuff, I would have told you that you were crazy, but I just always funny? try to challenge myself to, to try to, to try to learn new things. Um, and that takes me to interesting places. So, well, and in a way, I guess this is why it's different now, I think, societally, that people used to look for people with a university degree, mm-hmm. not because of what the degree was in, but for the fact that you committed to three to five years yeah. of a discipline and you came with an outcome. You know, obviously, there's then there's a measurement of success within that, and there's yeah. where you rank and your GPA and all these different things. But it was mostly because there was no other sort of way to measure success and the ability to take on a task right so they would use these yeah they would mark this as the signal of of some success and meanwhile now we've kind of gone counter where it's much more entrepreneurial understanding of entrepreneurial value and spirit in where it can do and and i think where the competitive players really can win is 
upending the societal norms around just that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> How do you say I'm, you know, so you, you've got a, a good Instagram following, you're building neat stuff and you share yeah. stuff that's inspiring uh, and helpful as far as like coaching and understanding how you train. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if, if, if you'd told anybody that this was going to be a thing, they said like, how narcissistic does it sound? But the Very truth is, the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but now it's like, it's, there's an incredible value I get from following people who are doing a thing that I would like to do like them. I don't yeah. want to do the thing. I want to do it. I want the discipline. I want to understand how they did it. And yeah. from there, then I can map it to other things. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because to your point, it's, it's all about results, right? Like if I, I may have historically in the past, like listened to, you know, I may have bought this particular brand or I may listen to this particular Institute because they have credibility. Um, but because of the internet and, the, basically the removal of all of those barriers, right? Like if I'm going to put out a message, it may have cost me thousands of dollars per second to put out that message. Whereas now it's basically free, right? Like I can stream, you know, we're talking right now on a podcast, like this, yeah. the production or the, the expense would have been huge 10 or 15 years ago. Um, whereas now it's, it's, it's completely minimal. So yeah, we have this opportunity to both consume and, and sort of project um, information. And yeah, it really has opened up opportunities like you know we circle back to the beginning parts of our conversation part of the reason why there's so much opportunity for age group athletes now is because of things like instagram and because of my ability to share my training with you know different aspiring triathletes um, who can then look at you know my outputs and my results and then look at the work that i'm putting in and say you know is there something there right Right. Um, they just get so, on Zwift, on Strava, like all these yeah. different things. Like that's the accessibility of that is incredible because, you know, what was the the old joke? You know, I said if if you find me on the road, you know, uh, pause my Strava and then call nine one one. Like we 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 can do this stuff now, and and anywhere in the world we can compare notes, yeah, and learn from each other's rides and runs and and such, and and it's pretty incredible to see how that accessibility through technology and through people embracing it. That's why Strava is the most amazing social network for me because it. It, is, it is wrapped around positivity yeah. and in, and getting through things, right? It's yeah. you've got every reason not to go for a run this morning. There's way more reasons to not do it than there are to do it. Yeah but you look on that community and I tell my sister, she did the, at one point she did this couch to 5k thing. And she decided that she was, you know, athletic in high school. She played competitive volleyball, did all sorts of stuff. And then just, you know, life happened. She said she had two kids and, you know, you get a job and like, we have this unfortunate thing in our head that it's natural for the body to just start failing around 28 and just let it go. Don't worry. Just try to hold off as long as you can. And it's like, no, 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 no. So I forget what age she actually decided she was going to do this couch to 5k and she did it. And then she has since now completed a couple of half marathons oh, and awesome. 10Ks and 10 milers. And even when she's having a rough day, you know, and doesn't want to go out and can't, inspire herself to go out for that 5k run i tell her I'm like you, you understand that your your training run your recovery run is longer yeah. than the first run you ever did 
And it's your recovery run after you did a competitive event. I said, even if you don't think you're competitive in the world, there are 7 billion people on this earth and six and a half of them won't get their asses off a couch right now. Yeah. You were out there doing it. So yeah. make sure you make sure you measure yourself against the right community. Yeah. And that's why Strava and Zwift and those things are fantastic for me because it is very much, no one's out there to say like, ah, ah, you know, like yeah, Nelson yeah. from the Simpsons, like bad ride. <laughs> like yeah. we, may, we may sort of have a run at each other, you know, jokingly about like, you know, little, little things, but it's always meant in, in very, very good thing. There's no trolls. There's no trolls on Strava. <laughs> no. At least I haven't met them yet. I haven't met yeah. them yet. Although I will say it does have the, uh, I had the tendency to get a little bit too competitive on Strava where <laughs> you, know, you can see the minutes per mile start to go down. So it's actually funny. A lot of the guys that I, and that's the other thing is I've, I've met a lot of guys and gals and I've, I've since connected with them after meeting them at races on Strava. And, and we sort of, like I mentioned that guy, Aaron, who I track. Um, and there's, there's a couple other guys, this other guy, Michael, um, who I met at a race and I'm, I'm always sort of comparing notes against his training. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great tool. Um, and just one thing that you mentioned there, uh, you know, one thing that really excited me about triathlon was the fact that in my head growing up, and I think that so many people have this in their mind, it's they're thinking that your athletic peak happens when you're 18 to 21, right? Because that's typically where people stop playing sports. But one right. of the interesting things about triathlon, Jan Ferdino is 37 years old and he's the number one Ironman. I would argue the number one athlete in the world right now. Yeah. And he's 37 years old. I think he's candidly trying to see if he can do it into his forties, but that's exciting from my perspective, right? Like I'm not, my, my best athletic fitness isn't behind me. It's actually ahead of me. Um, yeah, so you get to endurance, like sw slow twitch, you know, stuff that's very much, yeah. especially ultra endurance stuff is almost always people 40 plus like no yeah. one there's no 25 year old ultra marathoners like there are less of them for sure yeah. because your body is not made to do it that way nor do you have i think the kind of the want to do that it's because there's other things you can do competitively at that age that you you won't be able to do at 45 so you're you will commit to those things knowing that on the other side of it but yeah i mean that's funny, like 18 to 21, that's like, you get out of high school and like, that's why we always joke about the people that like, you know, somebody's 28 years old and they wear their high school football jacket and they can't zip it up. And like, that's yeah. their sense of self was wrapped yeah, into yeah. that thing that they did. And it's, it's like, oh, you hope that they can find it. You hope that they can, like, cause I know like you did this before. Yeah. And it's not yeah. just here. It's, it's what you inspire your kids to do. Like yeah. my, my kids I've got four kids. And they think it's normal to get on a bike for five hours. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I want them to believe. Yeah. That's yeah, what I want to leave uh, in the world. It is true. You're, you're, you definitely are setting a good example and it's uh it's, it's a great way to just stay fit older into life too. Right. It's, it's low impact. It's, you know, it, it's a lot of people think running is, is really, it's, it's hard and it's hard on your body. Um, but in reality, like once you, and, and this sounds arrogant if if you will but once you learn how to run and candidly like that's something that i had to learn how to do is i had to right. learn how to run because you know they don't and that's one thing they never really taught you right you just i mean it's stupid to say but most people try to run too fast and you need to teach yourself to run slow so that you can run fast i.e so that you can build the proper technique 
um, so that you won't injure yourself and that will, it will be enjoyable. So um, yeah, we yeah, all grew yeah. up like we're like we're like Steve Prefontaine who just wanted to like hammer out of the gate. That's how we're taught how to run is like in high school. No, yeah. no one trains you. I hope yeah. that now you know maybe there's because there's more understanding of the science of running and the you know like there's more like the gym teacher that I had when I was a kid was you know the old the old joke is right when you, those who can't do teach those who can't teach teach gym right like yeah. it was just whatever whatever guy was left over for, uh, that didn't have a second you know night school job They're like all right can you teach phys ed <laughs> 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 like, okay here's a stopwatch and a clipboard go make them fast <laughs> yeah no science to yeah. it right no yeah. one cared you know i not i mean i grew up in a small farm town so the fact that i yeah. didn't uh, all we played was soccer. It was all Italian and Portuguese kids where I was, I was raised. If I didn't play soccer, I was a weirdo. So I rode a bike yeah. because I lived in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I was riding a BMX bike too. And I, I had a similar, similar experience, but I think they're, I think they're getting better about, and I hope they, they are getting better about teaching just nutrition. And cause to your point, I think it's something that everybody should be incorporating. Um, you know, just preventative care, right? It's uh, a good way to keep yourself healthy and feeling good. And it creates the future, right? I mean, and that that's really the what what there's no better way to describe what you said before, right? Is yeah. what what am I doing today that makes me better than yesterday? And that's all you need to be in some small way that you can impact on yourself in some positive way today, every day. So that when you have the bad day, you know that you've got consecutive days of proof that you were able to get through this. And God damn it, you're going to overcome this, right? So yeah. whatever it is. And that's that's just what we have to teach ourselves. Because yeah. there's going to be days where we won't be better than yesterday. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you ever listened to David Goggins at all, but uh, he calls that the cookie jar. Uh, <laughs> that's right. right? You got you to put another cookie in that cookie jar. I, I, wait, I, David Goggins is like one of my, my guys, he's like, he's like my favorite guy to love, but I know why people hate him because of, I, I joke, like it's, I, I know why it's tough for like Jocko and, and, and David Goggins, these guys, cause they're like, you know, every morning you see like the four, yeah, four, four thirty yeah. Jock, Jocko's watch and you see Goggins out at, you know, and he does that thing where he like has a selfie camera and he's like, see that, you know, look around. It's nothing. Even people who are up yeah. early ain't even up early yet. But I, I think <laughs> something to his madness, though, and, and I love the way that he simplifies things. And I, I to a certain extent, came came on this this idea of, of like doing something that sucks once a day. Yeah. Um, because that that really is like the hardest part about working out is the moment before you decide to work out. Right. Once you decide that you want to work out, it's easy. But getting yourself to just make that switch, and I think it 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 requires training. And the more that you can get yourself to say, like, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to actually say yes to doing it. Right. Like a lot of people say they want to be successful, but they haven't like made the decision in their head. They haven't said, I want to be like, I'm making the decision to be successful. I'm going to do what it, what it takes to be successful. And I think you, you need to practice that yeah. in order to practice that you need to give yourself the ability to do something like get up and go for a run. Right. And once you win that battle, like I know he talks, his first battle, he calls it is the battle of the alarm in the morning. Like if you sleep, if you snooze your alarm, you just lost that battle. Right. But if you get up, you won, you won the battle and you won the first battle of the day. And so you get the momentum and you just keep it rolling. And I, yeah, I just, I like the way that he simplifies things because at the end of the day, life is just a bunch of decisions. Right. Yeah. And if you can get the first one, right. And you can keep that momentum rolling, then, you know, you're going to get to the end of the day and 
you're going to have got a bunch of stuff done. So, and it's even like another small thing just on that, right? Like you get up, you get to start your day and it's a, it's a, a Dr. Jordan Peterson thing that I, I practice yeah. daily. It says, make your damn bed, right? Just like yeah. I, uh, it's the, the act of me straightening up the bed right after I get up completely sets the positive tone for my day. I guess for whatever reason it, it works. It's just the, it's the silliest thing, but yeah, it it's a thing that reminds me that I'm, I'm, I could not do this and it's taking 30 seconds and adding it to my day to do something else that I won't actually do. Right. Like there's no yeah. benefit in not doing it, but there's a huge benefit in doing it. Yeah. And the, everything you do, you know, and, and you know, I got to thank you as well. I mean, you, you inspire me personally uh, regularly to do Likewise. positive things. And it's, it, this is what, what people need to do. find that thing, that nugget, that thing, and, and just be better than yesterday. It's a good way to live. Love it. With, with that, sir, thank you very much. Paul Zikowitz, where do we find you online? Since well, I'll have a link to your Instagram and stuff uh, for folks that want to, to chase you down on uh, on all your social uh, places yeah. and uh, so, maybe troll you on Strava since we said that. Yeah, please, please troll me. <laughs> so at uh, Instagram, it's at Zeke Z-E-K-E-Z-E-E. -E -E. uh, LinkedIn, it's Paul Zikowitz. And on Strava, I think I'm Zeke Zikowitz which is, uh, Zeke is a nickname of mine. Um, so yeah. I was worried for all this time. I've been calling you the wrong name when I said <laughs> that. <laughs> so, so there's two Pauls in the house growing up. So my mom had, uh, I always joke, my mom had to uh, know which Paul she was yelling at. So I'm pleased. Yeah. There you go. It's either that or you become Paul and Polly or, or, or senior and junior. So, yeah. uh, I yeah. like it right on Mr. Zekowitz. Thank you very much. Awesome.